Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome, everybody. Uh, to everybody that's joining in across the country, listening to this, this is our tradition of doing some sort of audio description industry update at our annual convention. And while the past few years we have focused on streaming services, we decided to do look at a different uh, perspective and look at more television broadcast and cable broadcast because um, there's a lot of ways to get audio description and we wanted to educate the consumers who don't necessarily use streaming or who can't afford to have uh all these streaming services or who just have a TV with the digital antenna or a cable box and don't want to give up their cable, for instance, if they're, you know, into sports. So we wanted to make sure that we educated those on a multiple number of ways to get audio description. Before we get started, though, I want to use my prerogative as co-chair of the audio description project to um, brag about the audio description project, if you will. So I am the co-chair along with Kim Charlton, and we are an advocacy arm within the American Council of the Blind where we advocate for all things audio description. We want more audio description, we want quality audio description, and we want it in all areas of my life. Within the committee, we have several several subcommittees. We have a conference committee chaired by Kim Charlton, which plans and arranges the committees that we hear at our annual conferences here in July, June and July, and the D.C. leadership forum in, in, in the winter. We have a Section 508 committee, which is chaired by Pat Sheehan, which has to do with government um, rules and regulations, what the government agencies have to do in terms of audio description. And he is actually a 508 coordinator for one of the larger government agencies, so he's a very, very valuable resource. We have a BADI committee, B-A-D-I-E, Benefit of Audio Description and Education, which is actually one of my favorite because it where we have an annual contest every year with, uh, I believe, middle school and high school students where we ask them to watch something with audio description and then ask them to write a review of it so that we hope that we teach younger viewers what audio description is, and they grow up and use it and spread the word. And that's always a lot of fun. And this year, the winner of that contest will be um, reading her essay at one of our general sessions in, in during the convention. We also have a performing arts committee which deals with parks, um, recreational places, and, and, and live theater museums. That's very important with audio description, and that is shared by Sheila Young. And then we have what is my favorite, the media subcommittee, which is also shared by myself, which deals with streaming, broadcast, cable, DVD, you know, anything to do with media. And that's been quite explosive in the last few years with streaming, broadcast, and all these things. We have an incredible website. The Audio Description Project website is adp.acb.org. That's ADP for Audio Description Project.acb.org. And on it, you can find information about all these things I mentioned, all the committees, what they're up to, as well as what's on TV on a given night. You can look it up by network, by title. We do our best to keep it updated, sometimes updated, sometimes it's hard to 
pulled all the information from the various sources, but we do the best we can. We also have a list of what's on all the different streaming services, whether it be, oh, I don't know, we have a couple of them here, so I'll mention them, Paramount Plus and, and, and um, Peacock, so I'll mention Node. Uh, uh, and we have a master list of all the titles that we know of that have been described to date, as well as what's currently playing in the movie theater. So it's a valuable list and a valuable resource, plus articles about what's going on in the world of audio description today. So I, I have it as a shortcut on my desktop, and I check it on a fairly regular basis. I also want to highlight some of the things we will be doing audio description related during the convention. And then I'll take a breath and let other people talk. But um, today, earlier today, we had a panel on audio description, Nothing About Us, Without Us, which was recorded, and you'll be able to watch uh, or listen to it at a later time as a podcast. And that had to do with blind or visually impaired individuals who work in the field of audio description, whether they are blind consultants, audio editors, voice talent, and um, in some cases, writers of audio description. And they, we just wanted to highlight that um, the blindness community feels be- stronger, that feels better, that when audio description is better, when the blindness community is included in the process. So that was an interesting panel. We have this one now, which we'll talk about shortly. And then on Saturday, we have one on self-description. And, and that's a fairly new thing, and in some cases, best practices when people are hosting meetings, and we're still figuring out, you know, how to do it, and if there is a need to do it, and you're going to hear from different sides and the different opinions of those who embrace it, and maybe those who don't necessarily embrace it as heartily, and also hear from a couple of people who will give more of a scholarly or academic perspective on the use of audio description and self-description in general. We have a professor from England who's done um, a study on it, so that should be an interesting panel. And then potentially, I say potentially, because we're still working on getting the all the stuff we need and the clearances we need, we will have West Side Story streamed on air, uh, audio only for those who want to hear West Side Story with audio description. And I say potential. It's not a, it's 90% in the process, but I just want to make sure but that. So stay tuned for email from General Dickelman, who will be updating everybody on, on, those, um, on the latest and those areas. So today we are going to talk about audio description and broadcast and cable And we'll probably talk a little bit about streaming, too, because we have a couple of people here who who represent all areas of the um, areas that I just mentioned. But before we do that, I thought it would be helpful if I first introduced Clark before I introduced Clark Rockfall, before I introduced the three main panelists who will be talking to us so that he could give us a little background on the 21st century video. No, the 21st century Communication Video Accessibility Act, so he could explain to you what our rights are, what we can expect in terms of audio description, in terms of broadcast cable, and the accessibility of the devices themselves that give us the audio description. So, Clark Rockfeld, Director of Government Relations and Advocacy for ATB. 
And also my doppelganger, because we're in a lot of meetings together and he gets called Carl all the time and I get called Clark all the time, which I don't know why, because I'm funnier and better looking than him, but it just it just happens. So anyway, Clark, go ahead. Thank you so much, Carl. You also forgot you're more humble than I am as well. Well, yeah, that goes without saying. <laughs> well, and thank you so much for having me or allowing me to join you for this conversation here this evening. And hello to everyone in our audience for this virtual session of the 2022 ACB Conference and Convention. As Carl said, my name is Clark Rockfall. I'm the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. And I'm here just to provide a, a quick overview because I, I'm not the, you know, the the main act here this evening. Our panelists are. Um, but Carl asked me to share a bit on what is included in the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act of 2010. And because that is a very long title, we call it the CVAA for short. So in 2010, the CVAA was passed in this reinstated the Federal Communications Commission, or FCC's, audio description rules. And these rules state that the the four main broadcasters, so your ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC affiliates at that time in the top 60 designated market areas um, so figure a designated market area is basically the, the broadcasters for uh, the, the city or the area that the broadcaster covers. Uh, so, you know, your largest broadcast designated market areas are uh, New York, Los Angeles, you know, Houston, Chicago, uh, Atlanta, cities like that. Uh, there are over 200 broadcast designated market areas. So the, this These regulations said that the top 60 and those four broadcasters in those top 60 markets had to start passing through audio description. At the time, they had to pass through audio description totaling 50 hours per quarter every three months. Now we're up to 87 and a half hours per quarter, roughly seven hours per week, also equivalent to one out of 24 hours per day. And this 87 and a half hours covers primetime programming as well as children's programming and other programming between, I believe it's uh, 6 a.m. and midnight. In addition to the four broadcasters, the audio description requirements extend to video programmers from pay TV services. So pay TV services are typically cable providers, satellite, or if you receive television similar to cable from your telephone company. These rules state that cable providers with more than, excuse me, pay TV providers, not just cable, but pay TV providers with more than 50,000 subscribers also need to pass through audio description in addition to the four broadcasters for the top five uh, video programmers. Currently, this list includes 
channels you've probably heard of. TLC, HGTV, Hallmark, History, and TBS. This list is reevaluated every three years. So there are programmers such as USA Network or the Discovery Channel that have previously been included on this list of top five programmers, uh, but due to changes in consumer viewing habits and market trends, they're no longer part of the top five. Also, some notable exceptions from this list of top five, Carl, the cable (laughs) news channels or sports networks. So for example, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, ESPN, and others. Uh, these are highly watched video programming on from pay TV providers, but because they show so much live and near live programming, they are able to apply for exemptions to be excluded from the top five. I stated before that the top 60 designated market areas were initially required to pass their audio description. That has now expanded to the top 80 designated market areas. And for the next two years, an additional 10 market areas will be added on. So in 2023, the top 90 designated market areas, and in 2024, the top 100 designated market areas will be required to pass through audio description, again, for those four main broadcasters, ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC. There are not requirements in place for uh, public broadcast stations to pass through audio description, but many of them do. In addition to expanding or having the capability of expanding the number of designated market areas, again, 2024 will be up to 100. And again, that's out of more than 200. Uh, So still plenty of work to be done there. The FCC has also expanded the number of hours. I say we're now up to 87 and a half hours per quarter, roughly seven hours per week, one hour per day. Uh, The FCC has now reached the maximum extent that it can expand the number of hours uh, that they can require for the pass-through of audio description for broadcasters and uh, pay TV video programmers. All this audio description is is great, Carl, uh, but it, it wouldn't be as impactful for you, me, and our audience if there also weren't requirements for uh, consumers to be able to access audio description. So also included in the CVA, CVAA were requirements on video Uh, playback and control devices. So think your televisions, set-top boxes, and even devices used to stream video content over the internet, laptops and computers. Uh, Ever since December of 2016, if these products are designed for the purpose of receiving and playing back video synchronized with audio, they must be designed with accessible user interfaces. And these accessible user interfaces cover 
a lot of the controls that are needed to operate the device, you know, to turn it on and turn it off, the volume controls, the audio description and closed caption settings, the video programming, channel selection, playback controls, anything you would need to do to be able to access the programming of your choice, as well as to enable audio description, whether that's done through on-screen menus or it's done using a remote control. It has to be uh, it has to be an easy path, an intuitive path to be able to activate audio description and use those player controls. So Carl, that's a that's a quick overview of what is included in the CVAA as it pertains to the Federal Communication Commission's rules for audio description and uh, the accessibility of video user interfaces and playback controls and devices. Well, thank you, Clark. You're definitely a better public speaker than I am. Uh, so before I introduce the panelists, I want to give let everybody know that we will be taking email questions, and if we have time, some questions from somebody participant uh, who are viewing this. And if you want to send a question, you can send it to advocacy at acb.org. That's advocacy at acb.org. Keep your questions short and to the point, um, and, and we'll do our best to get to your questions. So we have, I am pleased to announce that we have three panelists representing at least five of the nine entities the clock mentioned required under CVAA, and some of them even met, represent more than those five channels, uh, and we'll let them talk about that as they introduce themselves. But I will first give you a brief description of each participant. And in no particular order, this is just how I happen to memorize them. <laughs> and if I, if I um, missed anything in your bio, I apologize ahead of time because I'm doing this from memory. So first we have Lori Samuels, who is the Senior Director of Accessibility at NBC Universal. She leads strategic accessible projects uh, to in, do inclusive design and best practices, and also train digital access platform, uh, platform providers on best practices. She also fosters um, a culture of diversity and uh, disability inclusion and fosters executive partnership within MBC. Next, we have Martha Heller, who joined Paramount Global in 2020. She is the vice president of government relations and legal counsel for Paramount Global. Before that, where she represents Paramount Global in front of government agencies such as the FCC and other agencies and advises Paramount Global on government policies and issues relating to them. Before that, she served in many leadership positions at the FCC, including being division chief at the Media Bureau, uh, held a senior management position with the enforcement division, and was legal advisor for former Commissioner Clyborne. She was formerly, formerly a partner at Riley LLP and got a law degree from the University of Virginia and also attended Cornell University. Next, we have Janet Ritt, who is the Director of Government Compliance and Regulation and also the head of the Center of Excellence for Accessibility, which she created. 
and it's her vision and um, her vision that drove and created the Center of Accessibility. She wrote all the guidelines and all the policies that that are in the Center of Excellence. She also worked across the whole division of Warner Brothers um, Discovery to to advise them on accessibility and best practices. She brings a unique perspective because not only is she in charge of accessibility, but she before this, she ran an IT department and also was a writer and producer. And she's able to bring all her skills and knowledge from all her previous backgrounds to work with people of all different backgrounds to foster inclusivity and best practices and accessibility. So we are very honored and proud to have Janet, Martha, and Lori on this panel. Thank you very much to all three of you for agreeing to join us. We're just going to do an open style of communication where we just take, we all jump in as we see fit as I ask questions, and each panelist can, can choose whether or not to ask the questions as they see fit. My first question to you guys is, um, first of all, which company do you represent? What channel do you represent? And what do you plan in terms of audio description, the types of shows and media? And if you feel comfortable, how many hours do you think you're currently doing in audio description? I'm happy to start. Hi, I'm Lori. Um, I represent NBC Universal, which is a, a large umbrella over lots of brands. I think we have a total of 36 or something at counting. Um, but that includes, of course, NBC um, entertainment, sports, and news, uh, as well as cable brands like USA Network, E, Bravo, Sci-Fi, uh, and our streaming service, which is Peacock. Um, we, uh, we do, we're, we're absolutely thrilled to provide audio description, um, and, and we track that, of course, on the NBC entertainment side. Um, all of our scripted television programs from Universal Television are, do have audio description. We well exceed the number of required hours, uh, about double in this last quarter of the required hours. Some of our shows that include that are, you know, classics like the, all the Chicago series, Law and Order, SVU, American Ninja Warrior, Weakest Link, and many others. Um, we also have provided live audio description for special events, um, such as the Macy's Day Parade, the Christmas uh, tree lighting upcoming right now we've got the fourth of july uh, fireworks special which will have live audio description um planning for the emmys as well and then we of course did the olympics and paralympics um prime time uh, audio description that was live as well so and you're winning an award for the, your coverage of the special we got olympics. That. yes thank you <laughs> yes thank you and i'll just say real quick this is the first year in my memory as a blind viewer that I can remember having the ability to watch because all the different networks participated, that I had the ability to watch the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscars, and the Tony. And who'd have thought I'd get to see Will Smith slap Chris Rock with that oh. description? <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, and it's been, been interesting, and we'll talk they, about that. So I had to ask you, Carl, did they describe that? Did that was no, it? actually, that whole thing got <laughs> muted. I would just right, kind okay. of be funny. That, it all got muted. The primary okay. audio plus the audio description. Okay. But it is interesting. We saw a dramatic increase overall between the inauguration and, and the all the award ceremonies and the Olympics. We saw and, and CBS did a number of events. I want to give and so did um uh Discovery, Warner Discovery 
with the um uh M, I believe it would be um no the Screen Actors Guild. Yes. So so all three participants on this list did uh, a d- dramatic increase in live audio description, which was fascinating. Um, so, Lori or, or not Lori? I mean, Martha or, or Janet? Um, I'm happy to um, jump in next after Lori. Um, um, I'm Mar- this is Martha Heller um, with Paramount Global, and you know, thank you, uh, uh, Clark and Carl. I meant to say that in the reverse order. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, for having me uh, here tonight, it's always a pleasure to um, do events with the ACB. So Paramount Global um, has um, a number of different media properties um, in the United States and, and across the world, as, as the name of our company suggests. Um, I'm going to focus um, for purposes of this panel on the CBS television network, um, given the focus on uh, traditional media for this panel um, tonight. But in addition to CBS, um, we also own um, a large number of cable networks, um, you know, 20 some odd different cable networks that include, you know, for example, um, the Smithsonian Channel, uh, the MTV Networks, Comedy Central, um, and a whole list of others that um, I'm sure will come to mind in a moment. Um, and then we, um, beyond that, we have um, streaming properties as well, as Carl alluded. Our, our flagship is Paramount+. Plus. We also have um, a Showtime, which is also one of our networks, but we also have a streaming application for, um, similar with uh, BET, another example that is both a, a, a programming network that has a streaming platform as an outgrowth. Um, so turning to um, you know what we're doing on audio description, and again, kind of turning back to CBS, which has you know a long history um, as. Um, hopefully um, ACB well knows and others know as well of of being highly committed to audio description. Uh, We have consistently surpassed, we have always surpassed um, what the FCC has mandated um, by a significant margin. Um, This year um, has been um, especially significant for us um, in addition to the to the live award shows that um, Carl referred to. Um, We also had uh, a significant uh, milestone this year because we added a total of seven new uh, scripted primetime programmings to the list of um, those that are available with audio description. And as a result of that, um, we now have audio description for virtually all of our pre-recorded scripted primetime shows um, as well as um, you know pre-record as long as, as well as where we can for um, reality shows that are um, pre-recorded such as uh, Survivor and the Amazing Race um, and in addition to that um, we um, audio describe movies and, and specials as much as we can and on top of all that we um, provide audio description for our entire uh, three-hour block of children's educational shows. Um, 
so kind of boiling that all down to the number of hours, um, we have about um, 18 hours on CBS uh, of primetime shows that are described, um, you know, plus the three hours of educational programming for children. And that adds up to about um, 21 hours per week. Um, so all told, um, you know, we do provide uh, roughly, you know, over 270 hours per quarter. Now, not all of that um, counts under the FCC's rules, just to be clear, most of it does. Um, but that includes the, you know, original airings of each of those shows, plus, you know, one repeat. That's what um, the FCC recognizes in terms of its threshold of uh, 87 hours that Clark mentioned. Um, but in addition to that, you know, that that number that I mentioned, 270 hours, also includes some additional repeats. But all that said, um, and even, even so, we still surpass what the FCC requires on CBS by at least, you know, conservatively two to two and a half times each quarter. So um, into, just to mention a few of the um, specific shows that we um, do, some of the recent additions uh, just this year include uh, the show Ghosts, which is one of our kind of breakout hits of this year. Um, the Amazing Race and Survivor, um, <laughs> all of our CSI um, programs, our NCIS programs, The Equalizer, Young Sheldon, um, as well as a number of others. So that's that's an overview of what we're doing on on CBS currently. Martha, so I have a quick question. What made Paramount Global or CBS more in particular decide this year? to increase the amount of audio description to primetime program? What drove that decision? Um, you know, I think it, it was just, um, you know, an internal... I, I, I don't want to say I have a lot of insight into the actual decision process, um, but I know it's just part of our, our company culture to always be reevaluating what we can do and when we can do more. And, um, you know, it's something that we, we look at every year and, and this year we, we found the budget and the resources to do it. So we okay. move forward. We're, we're constantly, um, you know, and CBS is not the only place where we're looking to add audio description. So we are constantly, um, looking for new opportunities, um, um, to do more. Well, so. and I, I suspect because there's some synergy between, just like there is for NBC and Peacock, they do the same thing. There would probably be some synergy between Paramount Plus and CBS and that you can transfer the show back and forth and have audio described content on both. So that probably played a minor role in that too. So that's great. And we're hoping that um, all the networks follow. And actually, I think all three representatives will be able to see from what I've looked at the numbers that you're all exceeding the minimum number of hours required, which is a great thing. So next we have Janet. Oh, I already introduced Janet. Do you want to talk about um, what you guys are up to? Uh, absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much. And also thank you for inviting me um, and Carl and Clark. And uh, also I just want to give a shout out to my fellow panelists. Um, I really love their work. So I'm coming here both uh, representing Warner Brothers Discovery and a fan 
of my fellow panelists and the products they put out. Just want to say that. Um, so, uh, yes. Yeah, so Warner Brothers Discovery, the caveat I'm going to start with is that we just merged and are merging. And so the dust is still settling. And that does limit me on some things I can say, but I'll try to be as transparent as possible. And in some cases, it limits me because I don't know where the dust is going to settle. So I just wanted to put that caveat out. And uh, But the good news is that it's two companies that are complementary that have come together, um, and both sides are doing audio description, believe in audio description, and as you said, exceed the required, amount, required amounts. So for that, um, we have um, more networks, as, uh, as you said, that are on the list. And we also do have streaming HBO Max, which we're not talking about here, but there is a feature where some products from that do come over, much like they were talking about um, on the other side. So it's hard not to address the fact that some of the things I'll be mentioning on broadcast might have actually originated there. Um, And it's an interesting feature of that. So that includes for... Uh, TBS, which is on the list, and TNT and True TV, which have fallen off the list, but we still audio describe. Discovery, that's fallen off the list, but still audio described. HGTV, and um, uh, quite a few other things, as we mentioned. Um, the Discovery Channel it includes a lot, um, and then we have uh, that we look at the originals. We look at the acquired content, and then, as you said, the live content, like with the SAG Awards, which is very exciting and went over very well, not only with the audience, but we were really happy about it, too. And it's, there's, there is that sense of satisfaction of doing something innovative and uh, new. So some of the series that we can uh, talk about uh, on TBS, things like Snowpiercer on the original side, um, we uh, do describe, uh, and, and I'm only speaking because I really, there was a little concern about speaking about too much about numbers again when we're merging. Um, but uh, just going looking at the last quarter, you know, 100% of our originals, um, over 1,500 hours of AD and um, uh, TNT, uh, I won't get into the numbers, but in uh, True TV, but exceeding, well exceeding. And again, that commitment to originals. Um, On uh, the discovery side, and and I do want to give a shout out to them. We're just all getting to know each other. Um, But I really love, you know, what I'm seeing. So it's very exciting. But I'm also quoting with great authority on some of the things with them. So please forgive me for that. Um, But... um, you know, three of our networks do fall in, HGTV, TLC, and TBS. We do go over the required number of hours and strive to do so, and that's the key to it. Um, and some of the shows include 90, 90 Day Fiance, Fiance, Street Outlaws, House Hunters, um, just pretty much every popular show they have. And then we get into the acquired series and movies. So some examples uh, on TBS would be, an example from HBO Max, the flight attendant, which has now made its way to broadcast. And so the, oh, wow. 
Yeah, the AD came with that. Uh, also Titans, uh, Harley Quinn, our DC films, because we are also DC. I should say that about us. Um, we are, Warner Brothers Discovery is also DC, also CNN, also HBO Max, right. also a lot of different um, entities of which we're very proud. And then we get with Discovery a lot of sports, which we also have. So I personally am very excited about that. Um and all of the fantastic shows on the Discovery Networks um, that I've been obsessively watching now that I have access. Um, so we also acquire material from other studios, some of our counterparts, uh, counterpart that's not here, like the Star Wars films, the, Mar- the Marvel films, make their way onto TBS, and we get those described. Oh, wow, good. Yeah, so good way to, to find those. And um, again, I'm really happy to be here. So it sounds like, and this isn't, uh, well, first of all, thank you for doing more than required in that you also do TNT and True TV and Discovery, which have all fallen off. That The fact that you're doing, maintaining your commitment means a lot, because that hasn't always been the case. And I, this is Carl talking, not anybody else. I personally would like to see once the stations are required to do it, that they're always required to do it. But that that's another story for another day. So it sounds like when I listen to the three of you presenting that the studios and the network and the cable stations are starting to do a better job talking to each other, requiring audio description assets as a part of their deliverables. Would you all agree with that? Anyone else take that? <laughs> oh, yeah, but, but, but it sounds like it. None of you have to answer that. I'm just saying, based on what I'm hearing, it sounds like that there's starting yeah. to be more synergy and more communication among all of you, just like you would all request the caption file. And that's great. And I know, Laurie, on your side, you guys are maintaining your commitment to USA. Yeah, for USA Network, yes. And we're adding, we've added and are increasing audio description uh, on E, Bravo, and Sci-Fi as well. So, Well, let's, let's mention no. So. Yeah, so let me see. I'm going to grab a couple of shows off of that. So uh, for Sci-Fi, we've got the Harry Potter shows, Maleficent, uh, Bad Boys, Doctor Strange. Um, and then for, um, let's see, for Bravo, um Oh, no, maybe that was looking at, uh, that was Bravo, sorry. <laughs> Wrong spreadsheet. Um, and then for um, for E, we've got, let's see, um, uh, a lot of different shows. Luck Be a Lady, Cover Girl, Anchors Away. Um, so lots of different ones. Um, some of these show up on more than one cable, cable okay. network, of course. Um, sure. So So, yeah, so definitely keeping the commitment on USA Network. Um, as that was one of those top five uh, cable networks before. And so, um, you and know, then think- you added a few. Mm-hmm. And we've added a few more. Yeah. So, given that, that actually segues to my next question. Clark mentioned earlier they were the nine required, but it sounds like there's 13 or 14 of them now <laughs> if you combine everybody on cable or broadcast combined. And it's hard for us to know what's on a given night because. At this point in time, there's still more that's not audio described than is. Is there a place that any of you offer as a resource to go to 
And I, I'm going to recommend the ADP website, but we do the best we can and don't always know. So do you guys have a place of your own or a resource of your own where you maintain a list of what you offer for audio description? Yeah, I'd like to jump in on that if I could. Um, there, are, there are several ways people can find this information, and one of them is on the FCC website. There are links by channel on those lists to our what are called our DVS listings, and those would be what's on that schedule that night that is audio described. And so that for us would be for TBS, TNT, TL, I think it's almost everything. Um, So that's one area that we strive to keep up to date. Um, And then there are individual websites also that would have that information in curated lists. Um, So I I don't want to speak for others, but I do want to also say um, that there was an interesting thing that Lori said in giving her list, um, which, which is Harry Potter, which is Warner Brothers, which is us. And so there is an example of some uh, handshaking across uh-huh. the room here yes. that makes me very happy to hear because I'm a big Harry Potter fan. Yeah, and I was going to uh, mention the FCC.gov website for audio description as well. That's a great place to kind of get each of the major networks. Um, we have on, so on NBC.com, we have a, um, a rolling two-week schedule of um, audio-described programming um, that you can go there to see kind of what the current list of programs are and what time they're on, what, what date they're on. So we try to maintain that. And um, we're trying to build out one for USA Network as well. That one's just a little bit bigger because of all the repeats, but, um, but we'll ha- hope to have that live later this year. Right. Yeah. And, and I also think it's really wonderful the way that um, all of the different studios are settling in, if I may say, to find the best way to do this. I, I don't know about the others, but I, I watch what you do. I'm, I'm fans as a, a fan, as I said. I watch what you do, and where something is innovative, you know, I do bring it up. So we help each other, even without talking to each other. Yeah, at least on our end. But um, yeah, Martha, you concur that the FTC is the best place to go to for uh, up-to-date information. Well, we th- yes, I think that's a great point that. Um, you know, the other panelists um, have made. Um, in addition to that, we do have um, uh, a webpage for CBS, um, which is, is cbs.com um, backslash video hyphen description. Um, and that has a list of the CBS programs um, currently, um, it needs to be updated a bit. That's something that we are, are working on right now, um, to bring it up to date with, you know, the new programs, um, the new network programs that I've mentioned. So it's not, um, exactly up to date right now, but it is, it is a resource that we have and that we are, are currently, um, revamping as we speak. Um, and I guess just also kudos to um, to ACB for maintaining your website, um, the Audio Description Project website is a fantastic resource, and I am I look at it all the time just to you know get intel 
for myself, and it is just a remarkable resource. So, so uh, I, I, I want to encourage people to look at that. It gives a great overview of what's going on in the industry. So yeah. I would be I would be remiss if we didn't give credit to our webmaster Fred Brack. Fred is awesome. Who, who does that website for all of us. So I want to make sure he gets the credit he deserves. Um, thank you, Fred. Uh, thank you for doing the programming on my Friday night, every Friday night with my wife. So uh, it, it, my wife and I sit down and see what's there, and we try very hard to find something we're both like. You know, I, I mean, <laughs> and, and that can be a challenge because she doesn't necessarily want to watch uh, Trek Discovery. And I don't necessarily <laughs> want to watch... Uh, you know, running away with the bride or whatever it is. So, um, anyway, um, that, may I may I jump in on one thing too? That yeah. I, this is an example of where I'm learning all of our different sides. Um, uh, Discovery dot com also has uh, information about audio description on TLC, HGTV, and and Discovery uh, channels. So I wanted to make sure that I added that to the mix here. Thank you. So we all heard Clark mention during his opening remarks that by law right now, we're only required, or the, the, the broadcast and, and cable folks only required to pass through the 80 to the top 80 market. But what's interesting about that is they're also required to pass through emergency notifications to all 200 plus markets through the FAP. So do we know if we are working to go beyond. And if you don't know the answer, that's fine. I'm just asking because every now and then we get a concern from someone in the smaller market who doesn't understand why they don't have audio description. So I just, you know, I'm just bringing that up. I'll I'll share. Uh, So all of the stations that are owned and operated by NBC Universal are, are already within the top 60, I believe, and we all pass AD. So that's no issue there. Um, you know, I think uh, beyond that, you know, then we have affiliate stations and, and, and we may have some smaller markets there. Um, one interesting thing, I'll just sort of anecdotally somewhat during the, uh, during the, I guess it was the Beijing Olympics when we were doing live audio description, uh, we had some social media hashtags out that I was kind of keeping tabs on to see if there was any feedback and about the audio description. And one gentleman in rural Georgia um, let us know that the audio description wasn't, wasn't working. So I you know, kind of messaged him and we got it out to our engineers and you know this is a pretty pretty rural area and and got um anyway connected with the affiliate station figured out the technology um our engineers worked on it and got it working um so he was able to enjoy the rest of the olympics and it was quite a he was so cute i was passed you know posted a little tweet about how you know all of georgia now had or all of rural georgia and macon had audio descriptions so it's very exciting <laughs> to see <laughs> so uh sometimes it just takes uh you know finding out if we're missing something and and getting the engineers to go tackle it. So, Um, well, maybe I'll just jump in next because I don't think this question is necessarily specific to Janet because she doesn't have the, the, um, uh, the broadcast issue. Um, Yeah. So what my answer is, is, um, is similar to Lori's. So we have, of course, our ONO stations um, and all of those pass through audio description um, you know, beyond that, um, you know, we don't, um, you know, we leave it up to the uh, discretion 
of our affiliates, um, you know, as long as they're complying with the FCC rules, we don't necessarily mandate that, or we don't mandate that they go be up above and beyond what's mandated by the FCC. So we leave that to the discretion of our affiliates, um, which I think is is appropriate given the scope of the rules. Um, um, but that said, I and I I haven't heard. Um, a lot anecdotally, certainly about uh, about affiliates that we have that that don't pass through audio description. But again, since we don't require that, I you know I don't have an answer for sure. Okay. Yeah, and and I would say on the Comcast side, you know, we're proactive uh, about educating our local engineering teams for those markets that are kind of further down the list, and so um, and definitely um, we we. Um, we are currently passing through in, in a lot of markets that are not yet required. So, so that, yeah. when you when you educate them, because this is further down the question list, but I might as well bring it up. For instance, I got a complaint recently, and it wasn't NBC, but I'll, I'll just use this as an example. We got a complaint about another network who they only heard the audio description out of the left channel only, and it was probably, if I had to guess, because the local station didn't, encoder properly through their encoder, the, the the audio signal through the encoder. So how much is there education in what audio description is and how to do it properly? And I because to be honest, the consumer doesn't care that NBC and CBS and ABC and Fox and, and the cable networks only own markets in the top 50. They don't understand that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, uh, you know, I'm fortunate I live in one in the top eight market in Boston. Uh-huh. But but if I live in Biloxi, you know, Biloxi, I I don't know that what market. And I I, I don't know. I, and I'm not ask, necessarily asking for answers if nobody feels comfortable. I'm just bringing up. Not only do we want it in all market, but sometimes you know it'll inter fear with the Spanish track or it'll be in the right channel and not in stereo. So those are just, you know, um, so when you do try to extend it to all markets, maybe we also educate the affiliates. And yeah. I understand the it, affiliates aren't necessarily required by law, but just educate. No, we, I think that's, that's very important. And I was going to, I think that's kind of getting into your next question about the affiliate stations. And I would say, you know, what I've observed and, and seen in practice is that we are, especially on the engineering and operations side, we have a very excellent relationship with the owned and affiliated station engineers. So, you know, the owned stations, they use a common system for AD distribution to their audiences um, and MBPDs. Um, so our so that's the own stations. That's a common system. The affiliated stations might use different methods to supply AD. So some might be unique to the station. Some are used across an entire station group. Um, we but we work in partnership with our affiliates to to sort of on the engineering side to assist them with how to receive the AD signal from NBC, and then we offer technical guidance and share best practices on how they might provide AD. So definitely, there's troubleshooting that goes on, um, but there right. is. And, and again, um, it's not exactly governance, but it's it's um, it's definitely close technology partnership and collaboration. Great. And I know, um, I don't know, Janet, you have anything to add? Oh, well, just that it, it, it's an interesting situation to be the, pro, the, the intellectual property provider to someone like Lori or someone like Martha in that we have to make sure that what we're including is encoded correctly so that when they get it, 
it's received in a way that's useful to them. And because at that point, they're the, you know, the multivideo, what's called the MVPD provider or the, or carrying down the affiliate, uh, affiliates, I'm not talking well, sorry. Um, and that then becomes their responsibility, but it, but we want to give them things that work. And so we look pretty carefully at that. And that, that would be, because we really, as, as Martha said correctly, we're not, NBC, we're CNN, but we're not NBC, and you know that in TBS, it's it's different. But we're we're here to facilitate that. So if they ever come back to us and say this isn't looking right, um, we're certainly going to jump on that. Great. I, uh, um, oh, Martha, you already said on this topic. Unless you have anything else to add. Uh, well, um, I just want to say, um, you know, I. I Definitely um, hear your concerns. I think what you're saying uh, makes a tremendous amount of, of sense. Um, and, you know, I appreciate you making those those points, Carl. Um, you know, on our end, um, you know, we do also um, try to have, you know, robust communications with our affiliates. Um, we make resources available to them um, so that they can collaborate with our engineers to troubleshoot, to discuss issues. Um, And the only thing I would add beyond that is that we also do um, work to keep in communication with them about what our offerings are. We notify them, you know, for example, um, so that they're all aware and on the lookout when we add a program with audio description, when there's going to be a special, when we're doing something live, um, and on the flip side, we let them know when we're all, you know, if there's um, an event, which is, you know, rare, of course, but when there is a time when we're having a technical issue and are not able to pass through audio description. So we're in very much in regular communication with our affiliates about what's going on at the network level. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, and, and it's encouraging to hear what all three of you said. So I, I do appreciate that. And I know it's not easy having formerly worked for a broadcast network myself. I understand some of the challenges. Um, so now, to that effect, the FCC requires that all the stations have a captioning contact. So people, if they're deaf or hard of hearing, usually know who to reach out to if there is an issue, because sometimes it's just a matter of letting the engineer know they forgot to turn it on. I literally have called a station and had this situation rectified in five minutes. Um, you know, it was just an oversight. It wasn't intentional. So how would you suggest if people are watching something or they want to bring to your con- attention a concern about audio description is there a way to do it i think this is an area that needs a little more attention honestly um i think you know we have customer customer support um help center on nbc.com you know also on streaming peacock and voodoo but um and and we we're we're plan to add more information there on an accessibility statement and have um, information on uh, help topics on audio description but <coughs> But that doesn't always address kind of those local station issues and, and various other. It's 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 not. I don't think. I think this is an area that that we could all do. I mean, I, I know. I feel like we could do better, um, frankly. And um, just in terms of um, making it clear, who do you reach out to? Because it's a confusing mix of t- at times, right? We I saw this during the Olympics. It was 
you know, it was, do you talk to your local station? Do you, do you talk to your cable provider? Do you deal with your, you know, AT&T, you know, dish provider? Who's, who in the chain is responsible? And, and it was, it, it was, it was challenging to track down for folks. I, I mean, I do say that when, when we found out about an issue, I think we were very diligent about troubleshooting those and trying to, trying to, to solve for them. But, um, but honestly, I think this is the space that needs a little work <laughs> to be, yeah, um, I'll jump in on that too, and and uh, echoing what you said, um, yes, the accessibility statements will have a contact email, a contact point. In many cases, we have you know actual ways people can reach out, but usually by email um, and, or a contact form. And for us, again, being a content provider, uh, it's always a, you know an interesting thing. If it does come to us, we can try to help. But there's this whole media supply chain. And so that is something that I, I think it's really working together to figure out, you know, the best practices for that. That's a real governance question in, in itself. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I will say that the spirit and the will to help is definitely there, I think, with all of us. It's figuring it out. Go ahead, Martha. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I think I mean, it's really interesting um, um, listening to those answers and especially Lori, um, you know, I really appreciate your insight on on that um, based on your experience with the Olympics. It sounds like it was pretty yeah. eye opening. Um, we do have um, resources at, at the network um, and we're working on um, um, making that a bit more robust um, but I, it is not an answer to that, you know, complicated web of things that can can go wrong. Um, but on the on the web page that I mentioned before, there is um, a phone number, um, and um, if, if anyone um, happens to call it, they might recognize uh, the voice of Mark Turitz, who is our, you know. 24 uh, seven dedicated, you know, problem solver and, you know, advocate and champion on all things accessibility for our company. Um, he's working on adding um, an email address to that webpage so that consumers can send um, individual um, concerns, questions, complaints. Um, but yes, I, I do think that it's, it's a valid point that that can't, it's perhaps not a centralized enough way to make sure that questions are going to the exact right place at, at any moment. Yeah, and I, I would also add that when we, you know, with our customer engagement teams, and there's a real dedication to help people, that also requires training uh, to deal with the community in a way that is sensitive and inclusive. And so, so we work on that. Um, it, but it, when you combine that with the fact that it's going across our industry in a media supply chain to different places, um, I think we would just ask people to, you know, the feedback is fantastic, but also understand we're dealing with some complexities there. I also want to just shout out to, you know, Comcast has an amazing accessibility support center um, fully staffed. So I think that's if anyone's in the Comcast 
footprints, you know, you can certainly, that's a great first line of, of contact. Uh, you can dial 1-800-XFINITY and say accessibility and you'll be routed right over to the contact center for accessibility. And they are all, um, you know, fully staffed to handle any accessibility questions. So that's a great resource to have. Uh, no problem if an NBC issue goes there, it'll get routed back to us. So. <laughs> <laughs> We honestly that too. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, well, I was just going to say, you know, I think another thing, um, just to kind of, you know, as I was talking to our, our people internally about this issue, I do think that it's, um, you know, the volume um, uh, of concerns and complaints that we get about audio description are much fewer and further between than what we see on closed captioning, which is just, you know, um, it, you know, it's just by the nature of the service has, um, you know, a lot more um, potential glitches, things that can go wrong um, at any given time. I think with audio description, you know, I mean, if you use, for example, um, the FCC's um, informal complaint process as an example, you know, the, the number of, yeah, we've received, you know, virtually no <laughs> complaints through that mechanism about audio description, whereas, you know, closed captioning, there are just, um, you know, as I think as diligent as any company is, there are just always, you know, by the nature of it, um, um, things that, things that, okay, okay. so issues. So Martha is telling all the blind folk they should complain. <laughs> they got no that was, that, is, that, is that what I meant? Um, no, no. All kidding aside, I am saying if you have any issues and concerns, please do let the FCC know. Because Martha's right. I know for a fact that they don't get, and it's not that they're complaints. I shouldn't call them complaints. There are things to point out where we can all improve the quality and the experience that we're getting that I think you would want to know so you can fix those issues. So that's how I would, rather than call it a complaint, it would be an issue of concern for us to look, for you to look at. So please do let the FCC know or go to one of the places that the three um, panelists recommended, you know, the website and let them know. Because the more they hear from us, the better we can improve the services that everybody's getting. Um, pretty I, mean, I guess what I meant to say was that it works well overall. <laughs> I know, Martha. I would put in. I did that. I would put in words in your mouth, and I would just yeah. Have fun. I, I would like to quickly jump in on that though, because we we do have a very good process for that. I'm really proud of our teams. If something does come in, we don't we don't get that many. I'm, I hope, um, but we do have a good process for that. But we also, if if we do hear about it directly, whether it's through one of our customer engagement teams or through the emails or through the websites, um, it's very high priority. So I do I wouldn't want to give the impression that it it gets lost in a bureaucracy. It's not. It comes right to the correct teams. The question is, and I think this is an important point for a broadcast channel, is where in the media supply chain does the answer lie? Right. It's the real question. And so that's where I think, um, you know, we may have to help each other because, you know, we can get the complaint, but if we're not the one that can fix it, finding who can. Oh, absolutely. Is a big yeah. Issue. yeah. Well, so. thank you, Martha. I was not trying to put words in your mouth. I was just trying to have fun. 
Um, so I only have a couple more questions and then we'll wrap up. And again, if you have any questions for the panelists, if we have time, please send an email to Clark at advocacy at acb.org. Um, one other question is that, you know, we, we hear concerns from the community from time to time that the sound quality of what the um, person who doesn't use audio description is, is higher than that of those who use audio description, you know, whether it be, you know, surround sound versus stereo or mono. You know, we might get stereo or mono while the other folks get surround sound. Yet, ironically, the blind folks are the one community that invest in the surround sound because, you know, hearing is very important to the blind community. So is there anything that being, and if you don't want to say anything, that's fine too, but is there anything that's being done about that, um, you know, so that we can have parity within that area? Yeah, I can speak to that. I, I got this directly from our very smart audio engineers who <laughs> work on audio description. So um, I'll just read verbatim because I won't get it right if I don't. Uh, so a couple of things. First of all, uh, later this year for Comcast subscribers, um, we are adding the ability to access AD through a Bluetooth headset so you can enjoy surround sound experience with AD. Um, and then kind of more uh, <laughs> on the innovation side, um, so that's that's pretty near term. Next generation TV audio systems have the capability to very much improve the AD experience for audiences. So is that is that AST three? Yeah. So experimentation no? is underway now to test how a describer might be automatically mixed over the main audio stereo or surround soundtrack and made available to listeners by a global or on request selection on the TV or set top box. So this, that sounds like AI, though, right? Uh, I don't actually know. I'm just reading what the okay, engineer okay, told okay. me. Uh, but so, the good news is there are improvements on the horizon right. being looked into. So okay. I think some of this is in the experimental stage. So what I have a little bit more experimentation is soon to be underway for a feature uh, that will allow the listener to reduce background sounds with control on the TV or set-top box. This would improve the intelligibility of the foreground sounds like a describer. That same process can operate with the main soundtrack, offering increased intelligibility for announcers, commentators, and actors over background sounds of events and shows. So the industry okay. is evaluating the importance of next-gen TV features in whole, and audio features remain high on the priority list. So that's... Oh. Um, okay, Lori, I see a webinar coming up with your engineer. No, we're going to have to bring my friend Jim Starzinski in to talk to this because I can't do it. But And I know you've been talking to Tim Cal <laughs> over at Dolby because I just had a conversation with him the other day okay. saying that um, – is on the horizon, so that's very yeah. exciting. Uh, you know, we have some brilliant folks here, you know, who who really focus on innovation, and they're deeply, you know, in with with all of this, and um, you know, specifically focusing in the kind of innovation in the accessibility space. So it's exciting to see what will be coming down the pipe. Okay, uh, Martha and 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 or or Janet. Uh I, I would just and then say what what Laurie said. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, these studios, no, if I may, the studios have these fantastic innovation teams, and are always looking at ways to improve. But it's also that this technology um, is changing fast, and does require a, a lot of work to look at that. So I, I can't. I, I'm not going to read off something like Lori did. What she did was fantastic. But I do want to say that there is a strong interest in as things innovate in staying on top of it. 
And also, I just want to hint, Lori, um, and I'm sure Martha, that the, when you innovate, we're looking at it. So <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> awesome. Likewise. Yeah. Great. And Martha, do you have anything to add or more or less the same? Um, Lori's a bit braver than I am. Um, I, <laughs> I also yeah. got um, um, a, a technical answer from um, uh, to this question, but, you know, I think it boils down to, you know, similar to what uh, Janet said, you know, this is an area that we are, are always, um, um, we're looking to innovate and improve. Um, I think kind of the bottom line of what I was told by my engineers is that technically for on the CBS side, um, right now we are, um, limited to technically to doing only a mono mix um, uh, and are not able to do um, surround sound or stereo on that right now. Um, But we do, you know, the highest quality mono uh, mix sound that we are able to do. And again, you know, it is an area where we're looking to innovate on our streaming platforms, we do have um, more flexibility there. Um, okay. and- well, it sounds like we have, we will be looking forward to AST3 3.0 when that finally launches. Yeah. And um, um, and that won't have some of the um, restrictions that the current um, legacy um, infrastructure has. Well, thank- so my last question is, do... Um, are there any innovations that you, we just talked about what in terms of sound, but are there any innovations or any other things you see on the horizon that we have not discussed about audio description that any of you feel comfortable or, or, or even if you don't know that are any coming, what do you foresee coming in the future of audio description? Um, I'd like to just say something about, I wouldn't exactly call it innovation, but just sort of a shout out to our teams um, one of the Warner Brothers pictures that I happen to love a lot, which is Dune, has a fantastic audio description on it. And what I particularly loved on it was that the audio description made the media, the movie an entirely different experience. And so what we've seen is that there are a lot of users who do not rely on audio description choosing audio description for that movie and because it's a very complicated book and um, almost unfilmable because everybody had things in their head and the and the audio the script for the audio description really carried that kind of um, sense of backstory in it and I hadn't seen that before so I think that there's not only the technical things we can talk about but the fantastic work that some of the vendors we all use are uh-huh. doing uh-huh. and I'd just like to give a shout out in that yeah, case. I would agree I, I think also you know in addition to innovation I think we're working to make this more ubiquitous more standard operating procedure you know as we collaborate and content goes all over the place to every which way in the ecosystem you know it's important to keep the audio description with it to make sure we're asking for audio described titles you know just sometimes it's basic things but just making sure that that's a steady progress toward um toward, you know, greater coverage and and greater, you know, increasing the amount of of coverage. I would say one thing that um, 
I thought was really lovely from the Olympics experience too uh, was having, um, we had a focus group with you folks with the ACB after the Tokyo Olympics. And it was so amazing. And I I just would encourage everyone to think about this um, to really get feedback from the community in terms of what's working and what's not. I mean, that was just something we stood up um, and had a great two hour conversation. And I grabbed all kinds of little lovely quotes and nuggets that I got to share out with, with our folks in the business to let them know that, by the way, having audio description really does make an impact on whether people can fully fully participate and fully be included with their friends and family when they're all watching, uh, you know, sporting events in this case together. Um, and I think... Um, you know, we took that input in, in our, you know, our scripted video works, which did an amazing job with the live audio description for, mm-hmm. for the Olympics and Paralympics, took it into Beijing and, you know, made some adjustments. And uh, so I think it's always, we're always ne- needing to be learning in this space where, and we always really need to be listening to the community. So appreciate the chance to, you know, to, to connect with, with community and the viewers who are passionate um, and want this just to have more audio description. So I think all of us can learn from, from, you know, from the community. So we really encourage that kind of feedback. That's great. Thank you. And, and Martha? Well, I, I guess, um, you know, you, uh, uh, both Janet and Lori put it um, very um, eloquently. And I think for a lot of the reasons that they've stated, I think one thing that we're probably all seeing um, is that there just is so much more momentum behind audio description right now. Um, than we've seen, I think, um, throughout its history, really, and that there is, you know, I'm seeing it internally um, within my company. I know all of us are are focused on um, doing more and more on our streaming platforms. Um, and I think that's, you know, comes across certainly in the uh, services of NBC and, and Warner Brothers Discovery, as well as at Paramount Global. There's just, I think, a lot of, of focus and a lot of energy behind, you know, how can we continue to expand what we're doing and improve what we're doing? So I think now is a really, you know, exciting time. I, I agree. As someone who's observed accessibility as a rule, uh, um, you know, I used to work in the captioning field a number of years ago, and I think audio description now is just about where captioning was. 20 years ago, we didn't, um, we didn't have a hundred percent mandate for captioning back then. Um, we didn't, um, it, it didn't go to DVDs and VHS all the time. Well, that's more than 20 years ago. I'm dating myself, but, but I mean, we're starting to, and yet captioning's not, that wasn't required on VHS and DVDs yet. People started to do it because it was the right thing to do. And they started sharing files and, and it started growing. And I think audio descriptions at that same place were about to see some monumental sea changes. And, uh, you know, I'm encouraged by the fact that you are looking into innovation with audio. I'm hoping that all of you start to think about a standard file format. So the files are easier to swap between each other. That is a, maybe a minimum standard for, and I'm just throwing in some of my wish list. I'm not asking anybody to respond if they don't want to, but there's a minimum standard for audio description. I personally don't like text-to-speech as a voice, um, you know, um, uh, you know, so, but, but it's very exciting. I want to, if I want to see if Clark, have you gotten any questions during the presentation? Yes, Carl, we have. Okay, you're now the moderator. I'm turning it over to you. 
All right. And folks, this is why uh, you you want to be the moderator, because not only do you get to ask the questions from the audience, but you get to ask your own questions as well. (laughs) (laughs) And the first one's not a a question, but a comment. Uh, Janet, I just checked the audio description project database. And I see that Westworld is now audio described. That's right. I meant to tell you that, Clark. On HBO. So uh, a big thank you. And I know what I'll be doing this weekend. (laughs) Me too, by the way. (laughs) Now, if you guys can get the original movie with Yo Burner from 19... I can't remember. 19, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just do want to say that the team that does that, uh, does the audio description on that, are amazing. Um, real pleasure to work with, too. So, so. And, that, and that's a great segue for our, our first question. Uh, so Carl mentioned earlier that uh, the audio description narrators, Norma Jean Wick and Tony Ambrosio, mm-hmm. who voiced the audio description for the Olympics and Paralympics, uh, this past winter and summer on NBC will were nominated and were, were awarded an audio description project award. Uh, so question first for Lori, uh-huh. when you are, uh, I guess, procuring audio description services, just like any other service with uh-huh. vendors, there are providers that do it better than others. How do you ensure uh, high quality audio description? Yeah, uh, great question. I mean, obviously we had, we've had great experience working with the folks at DDW. Um, and as you recognized, uh, I forgot to call out Clark. I think my favorite tweet from the uh, Olympics was that was, was one that you made, which was that without audio description, ice dancing would simply be soothing music on TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay, maybe Clark is smarter than me. I don't know. <laughs> it was just a great tweet. I saved that one. Okay, so to your question, um, yeah, I think uh, this is an interesting one because actually I am not personally that involved in the selection or sourcing of our audio described vendors. So um, it's, a, it's actually something that I'm going to be kind of working to be a little bit more proactively now to kind of check on who all are we using for scripted programming. I know who we're using for live. Um, and, you know, is there an opportunity to work with our supplier diversity team to make sure that we're including um, describers from, you know, again, diverse suppliers and and, uh, from the disabled community, et cetera. Uh, So I think that's a great opportunity, actually, to kind of to get more myself to get more involved in sort of looking at how are we um, sourcing, you know, vendors and and, and, uh, for audio description. So definitely something that I'm interested in doing more of. And, um, you know, again, this is also one where it would be great to hear from all of you in terms of who, you know, who do you like to, to listen to? Who's, who's great? Who's doing a great job out there? Um, that would be great feedback for us. Thank you, Lori. Would anyone else like to, to comment about how you ensure audio description quality from vendors, I'll add? Yeah, well, I would just say that we have a specific audio description teams, localization teams who work with specific vendors, um, although that number grows or changes as more people get into that space. And there, there's a combination of, of considerations that come in. Is it a tent pole? Is it, uh, you know, is it just 
you know, certain certain programming, and that becomes a challenge because we do use the same vendors, and it could bottleneck as well, you know, at times. So we have to take that into consideration. But we're also seeing in that space some tremendous talent, and I agree with Lori about looking at the diversity. We also uh, we also look at. Uh, vendors who are, they are actors in their own right. They are writers in their own right. And so as their experience builds, that becomes a consideration in terms of which property they end up on. Yeah. Great. Thank you. And folks, are, there is still time to submit additional questions. If you email advocacy at acb.org. Carl, Clark, yes. yeah, I just want to jump in real quick. You mentioned that NBC is receiving an award for the, or the two narrators, I should say, are receiving an award for the Special Olympics. I also want to acknowledge that Mark Turris from Paramount Global is receiving an award for his, uh, a Lifetime Achievement Award for his dedication to audio description. So while, while we have Martha and, and yes. folks, I just want to make sure we acknowledge that as well. Thank you, for um, that, Carl. And, and Martha, uh, the next question we have is for, uh, for you and CBS, but other folks are welcome to answer as well. And first, uh, again, I'd like to commend uh, CBS and Paramount on their commitment to audio describe nearly all of their primetime lineup. But a question that we received here today and that we often receive from our members what about daytime television? <laughs> what are the networks doing to oh, I know. audio description oh. for daytime television? And I know who submitted that. <laughs> um, well, uh, I guess the, the truth is I, I don't know um, if we have any plans with regard to um, daytime television. I mean, I think, you know, that we are always looking at you know, in making our decisions about, about what to describe. Um, um, I mean, first of all, uh, I guess, you know, a daytime programming is not always uh, network programming, right? So it comes from different sources. Um, it comes from a, a lot of that programming comes from, you know, uh, syndicated vendors. So it's just, it's a slightly different animal than our, you know, the, than CBS network programming, um, and I would say, you know, beyond that, um, you know, there may be some plans in the works to to add description to some of those. I don't have insight into all of our business plans, but I do know that we are always thinking through, you know, have to think through in terms of, you know, resource issues, um, you know, where is adding audio description going to be uh, the most valuable and where are we you know, going to get the most bang for our buck in terms of adding it. So I know that, you know, always goes into our decision-making process. I think another challenge, you know, another challenge with daytime programming in general is, well, couple things. I mean, the, the, the production schedules and operations are, are very different for daytime television as opposed to, you know, primetime or evening. Um, because, you know, you're talking about programs that are like near live uh, or, you know, live. That, so that kind of gets you into the live territory more. Uh, a lot of news, a lot of talk shows, and then you've got kind of soap operas. So again, I think you'd have to, you'd have the quantity would be, would be quite different and the pace of having to turn it around would be quite different. I mean, we, you know, uh, 
e- the turnaround time on on something like a daily soap opera is so different than than you know something like a, a scripted program that's on kind of a cadence of production and so um, that, that shows on and airs on prime time. So I think you'd have challenges there. It's not impossible, of course, but I think you'd have some challenges in terms of the frequency and the turnaround time for anything that's scripted. And then, um, and then a lot of live, you know, or near live programming that's on daytime. Mark, do you have one quick question? Because it's 625 and I want to make sure Katie gives the code and CEU credit code and that we wrap up. So do you have one quick question left? Can I yes. jump in? I'm sorry. Yeah, can I go ahead. Quickly before that. I do want to say that one of the advantages we have over the networks where we have the programming going on TBS or on TLC or things like that is that there aren't a lot of the kind of programs they're describing where they're near live. And so when you look at the TBS schedule, you will see pretty consistent daytime programming audio described. I'm not going to say it's all the time or that's a commitment just right now and looking at that DBS schedule, it's there. So shout out to that team. Clark, a real quick one or we got to move on? A real quick one. The last one, uh, I think from the the questioner, this is more a a comment than a question, um, but I'll phrase it in the way of a question. Uh, do all of your broadcasters and video programmers commit to provide audio description voiced by humans as opposed to text to speech? That is our practice. I, I can't say that we would never consider a use case for text-to-speech, but it is not something that we would look at for our primary use case ever, I believe. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think on the, you know, for, look, um, I, our, um, on the CBS network, um, absolutely, we use, you know, we use, um, um, you know, live traditional voice, uh, human voice, um, audio description. Um, I can't say that we would never consider it on, on any platform. Um, you know, I understand, um, that concerns about it, but, you know, it is also, um, a technology that I think holds a lot of promise in terms of the ability to, um, really increase the volume of, of audio description that's available. So, you know, while we are, are not using it currently, um, you know, I think it is it is something that it is that it that everyone in the industry is is taking a close look at because it has um, a number of benefits in terms of expanding the service. Okay, I'm going to thank Lori, Martha, and Janet for participating. I think we saw that all three of them represent organizations that have a serious commitment to audio description. And I am thrilled that ACB and the Audio Description Project have a relationship that is mutually beneficial to each other, where we can continue to work on audio description. And I want to thank everybody also for tuning in and adding to this uh, great panel. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carl and Clark. Great to be with you, Janet and Martha. Likewise. Thank you so much. And very great to be with both of you. Same here. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, all. Have a great evening. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Thank you.